Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined today by Don Pizzette. Don, how are you doing? I am doing great. We got a, an interesting show lined up today because of all the big announcements last week, but there is a ton of cybersecurity stuff going on. And and hey, it's the, the end of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so a good time to focus in on some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah, everyone's been saving their favorite hacks for this week, so that's fantastic. And we have Daniel Lowry in Witness Protection. Daniel, how are you doing? Yes, uh, I will not be uh, revealing my identity. Oh, I'm sorry. Episode. I just, yeah, I just introduced you. you. Now <laughs> oh, i got to move again and change my name. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> fantastic. All right, we are also joined by a special guest today. Uh, we're joined by L.D. Menjin, who is joining us all the way from New York City. How are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you, Peter. How are you today? I'm fantastic. And you're, uh, we were talking before we came on the show, you're in the beautiful Marriott Marquis. So uh, <laughs> conferences have started back up in New York. What are you there for? Indeed, they have. You can see a bit of Times Square ads behind me, too. Uh, so I know it's a podcast, but there may be some video ads in the back as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm at a uh, conference called Programmatic I.O. It's uh, one of the leading conferences tied to the digital ad industry and specifically what's called the programmatic part of the ad industry, which is all the automated buying and selling. So a lot of vendors, a lot of... Uh, uh, big media companies, a lot of big advertisers, all discussing uh, the future of online ads. Very cool. And it's good to see all that stuff uh, back in full swing again. And now we know if we see an Elmo walk by, it is not the real Elmo. It is a Times Square True. Elmo. So. True. All right. Well, let's get to know LD a little bit more in our first segment, which is, of course, rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, LD, in this segment, what we're going to do is rapidly fire questions at you. You'll see a timer appear on your right. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, you'll get buzzed. And we'll move on to the next question. The first question right. is coming at you from Peter. All right, so normally I start by kind of asking a, a little bit about your company, but I want to kind of take a step back first and learn a little bit more about the industry because we, uh, we're going to be talking about a term that I don't know that everyone knows. Uh, it's malvertising. I think you can kind of guess malware advertising, but can you kind of give us a little overview of what that's about? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's, it's actually it's exactly that. It's a portmanteau between malware and advertising, and it has to do with malicious activity that, that is delivered via ads. Uh, so basically, if I were to summarize, there's there's three large types of malicious activity. Either someone can actually deliver malware, i.e. an exploit, where they're going to hack the device, the computer, the the, uh, the phone, or the whatever it is, they're going to really attack the hardware. Uh, or it could be phishing, uh, where they're seeking to actually get engagement interaction, where they, uh, they steal data. Uh, or the final type is scams. Uh, and actually, that's the worst type these days. There's a ton of investment scams online where people pretend to be legitimate financial entities and institutions and con people into sending money. It's uh, it's quite scary out there. All right. Now, your company works in this space, and I, I assume it's not actually creating malvertising, <laughs> but working against it. So so what is it that you guys do to help protect us from that? Yeah. So so we both detect and resolve. So we, uh, if you talk to security companies a lot, you'll, you'll often hear that they talk about prevention, uh, detection, sorry, detection, resolution, and then prevention. Those are kind of the three pillars of a, of a good security company. Anyone who's doing security has to act on all three of those dimensions. Uh, but so what Confiant did is that we invented uh, the digital ad ecosystem's first way to actually uh, block individual bad ads in real time. Uh, so we're integrated into publishers' websites. 
and we monitor the ads as they load and we're able to, to pinpoint when an individual ad is malicious uh, for reasons that we detect and we determine and we block it and we prevent it from loading. So that's, that's how we help. We're, we're there to verify and protect the user on behalf of the ad industry. So is your software basically work on the user? Is that your target audience or is it the advertisers or is it the company that would be running advertisement? Where, where do you actually uh, look for Yeah, customers? no, great question. So we, we made a strategic choice to start with the publishers first. So the owners of the media properties. And then from there, we've been building deeper in upstream into the industry. And so we chose the publishers because they're the ones who are most, uh, who care the most about the user. They're the one who has the user interaction. They're the one that have that, that get blamed by the user when something bad happens. So we decided that they were the prime candidates to start this and to, that we want to give them control first so that they could start creating awareness of this issue upstream. Because it's like, basically, you got to take whoever cares about it the most and, and target them, and then they can get other people to care about it. And if we had started at the top stream, eh, the, uh, the buyers don't care as much. They, uh, they know it's not their fault in, in the sense in that if there's another buyer who's bad, it doesn't matter. So, so we talk a lot about end user security awareness for things like email phishing and, you know, the things that people can look out for, um, the link or, um, you know, the way things are written uh, or the, the email address something's coming from. Are there the same kind of things that an end user can look out for rather than just not clicking an ad ever again, which I know is an option as well? It's it's uh, that that is an option. Ad blockers are an option, but obviously that that breaks the, the back and forth mechanic and exchange of, hey, we get the, the ad industry, the media companies get free content in exchange for that content, they get interaction that they can sell ads for. So it's very important that the, the industry actually figure this problem out. Otherwise, ad blocking will continue because the users do care about this. They do want to protect themselves. So what, uh, from point of view of what an individual can do, I would say biggest one, if you see a celebrity endorsement, don't run away. <laughs> do not click. Uh, celebrities do not typically endorse investment opportunities. If you see one being endorsed, do not believe it. It is fake. It is a fraud. Shaquille O'Neal will not like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he endorses everything. Now he, yeah, he yeah, if it's Peyton Manning or, or yeah. Shaquille O'Neal, it's probably real. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to talk actually about that in a little, a uh, little bit. But I wanted to ask you one more question uh, first. So you actually started your career path in like the financial services sector. How did you switch gears? What what made you make that move over to the technology side? Yeah, no. So I, I got lucky. I uh, I dropped out of school, uh, studying economics, dropped out, and uh, came to New York and was working on Wall Street. And I got to have a front row seat to the dot-com crash. And so seeing both the creation of all those companies and the, all the different problems that they were trying to solve, and then seeing the, the death of them when, when most of them crashed, really gave me a, an, an insight to saying, hey, wait a second, there's really something to this technology in terms of how all this technology is revolutionizing industries and just changing the way they do their work. And so let's go, let's go look for problems there. So I actually went back to school learned computer science and uh, done sales and business development ever since. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. Luckily, you, yeah, you weren't too deep uh, into it at that point when the when the bust happened. All right. Well, we've alluded a couple times to uh, some of the you know kind of financial investments being one of the uh, the big ads to worry about, and we've actually got a story we want to look at here in our next segment with you, LD, which is behind bars. go to jail. All right, this one comes to us from nltimes.nl over in the Netherlands. So, online scam using fake ads with Dutch celebs netted millions 
and an Amsterdam man is held. So uh, is is this that same kind of ad? So is this someone going out exactly. and actually paying for an ad? So whatever ad platform it is, is, is actually still getting that revenue? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, everyone's getting paid here. Uh, and that's what that's what makes this complicated, because it's about weeding out who are the good people versus the bad people and, and realizing that even the bad people will pretend to be good and their money is still green. Uh, so, yes, the, uh, th this is exactly the example I was talking about in terms of being careful about celebrity endorsed uh, issues. And so what these uh, uh, bad actors are doing, the people doing these type of fraudulent investment scams, they'll start off with an ad that is pure clickbait. So it'll be like a Boris Becker, but like Photoshop to look like he's been beaten up. And then you're like, oh, my God, who would beat up Boris Becker? I need to click this. These ads often get 5% plus click-through rate. That's that's really big. When you think of how many the average ad usually does, it's like if, a, if an ad for an, a large brand gets anywhere past like half a percent, that is amazing. Most ads get like 0.1, if not 0.05% click-through rate. So anyways, they use a clickbait ad. It then brings you to a fake article where instead of actually talking about why Boris Becker got beaten up, it talks about how Boris Becker turned around his life and his finances by this new investment opportunity that he's uh, endorsing and thinks is really good and he thinks you should go look at it too. And that article will be made to look like a local newspaper, uh, logo, type font, everything matched. Then if you're still interested, you then click through to a, a call to action page where they will see to catch your information, either in terms of getting your information so that they can start calling you to, to incentivize you to invest, or they may actually even try to get money right away from you. Uh, and then you're hooked. And then they, they play on confirmation bias. They, they play on all the site. They have a lot of psychological hacks and tricks uh, that, that they deploy to keep you putting more money. Uh, the UK did an analysis on this uh, last year. They estimated that UK citizens lost upwards of $180 million to these types of scams. Uh, the Australia was like 265, something like that. So these are non-trivial amounts being stolen. The average person who falls for these is losing about $60,000. Uh, and uh, and you'll hear if you Google it, this is this Netherlands story is great because this is actually where someone got caught and got arrested. Uh, most of the stories you read are just where someone lost their life savings, and and these are not. This is not grandma who's falling for this. This is there's a, there's a story about on the BBC uh, on the BBC a, a gentleman in, in the UK who was the CEO of a or like the owner of a small chain of stores uh, had a 50 person business lost five hundred thousand dollars. Because, again, they, they know how to play technically, psychologically, and they're able to uh, to, to play off of that to, to make people get calm. You know, I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of wrapping my head around this because I think about the normal the normal type of virus or malware that we look for. Hey, I got an email with a weird attachment on it. Or here's a Word document that has macros. Here's, here's something from Russia, right? So there's like <laughs> things that we, we normally look for. But here you're just talking about an ad. And... Yeah. An ad is usually just a picture, and it's the content that has the red flags. I don't, I, I really don't have any idea of how you would programmatically identify that. And I, I don't want you to like reveal your intellectual property or your your secret sauce, but how do you do? Oh that? no, it's 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 uh, so great question. The uh, our starting assumption is that if anyone hides from us, there's something there. Because so we are we're specialized. We are just looking for malware, malicious activity within ads itself. So we have a very defined param perimeter in terms of hey, these are all good ads behave these ways technically. And the minute that there starts being variation to that technicalities, 
it starts leading a finger trail, a, 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 not a finger trail, a, a trail of crumbs that we follow to eventually get to attribution to a bad actor. So that starting premise of if you hide from us, there's something wrong here is an actually very strong principle to act upon from a point of a, of a security process. Uh, and so it's uh, the and these actors know that what they're doing is bad and they know that if they don't hide it, it can get caught even easier because we can start doing keyword matching. We can start doing image matching. We can start doing a ton of very basic technical things. Uh, but the the hard stuff is is actually getting and figuring out the, the the cloaking, actually. So these ads are very often cloaked so that they will only show to a specific target user uh, or, or group of target users. And that's where the, the, the bad actors actually leverage the strengths of the ad industry against the user. Uh, ads are able to be targeted. They're able to be honed in and be precise. And so the bad actors use that to hide. And that's what we have to reverse engineer to figure out. Now, there's a number of advertising platforms that are out there. The, the two biggest are Google AdSense and the Facebook advertising, right? That, like, if you want an ad to be successful, those are the two, uh, you know, it's not a monopoly, right? It's a, whatever it is, but those <laughs> are kind of the of two them. places. Yeah, so <laughs> is, biopoly. Is, yeah. That where, is that where these malvertisements are, are being sent uh, through so or other platforms? Unfortunately, with these investment scams, the answer is yes. Uh, so, it, but that's relatively new. So, uh, the malvertising has gone through three waves over the past ten years since it got invented. Well, fourteen years since it got invented. The uh, the first wave was very exploit driven, very much the malware that was infecting the device, and that stopped when the industry removed flash ads as the main technical <laughs> mechanism they were doing ads, which is a great thing. Made 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 everyone a lot a lot happier, a lot more protected. The bad actors then shifted to using JavaScript-based attacks that would trigger forceful redirects and would automatically redirect the person typically to a phishing uh, questionnaire, a phishing scam where you want a free Amazon gift card. I'm sure that uh, was kind of the, uh, the, the main attack for years. Uh, and then over the past two years, uh, they've started drifting to these cloaking-based investment scam attacks. And so Typically, every time there's an evolution from an attack vector perspective, in terms of the mechanism they use to attack, there's also an evolution from an attack payload perspective in terms of where they're making their money. Because what's really interesting about malvertising is that the, the technical threat actors that actually compromise the industry, that know how to get through the pipes and know how to use those pipes to get in front of people, those aren't the people running the actual payloads. They're getting paid. The, the technical actors, the, the, the true hackers, the, the technically sophisticated people, they're there to create a pathway that then another malicious party is going to pay to use uh, and, and bring their payload to them. So they, the, the bad actors do this. They break up and build these multiple tiered ecosystems in part so they can protect themselves. Because when you're offering, when you're not the first party doing the, the attack itself, when you're facilitating it, there's less risk. If you're not the first one that's going to get arrested. They're going to go and arrest the person doing the payload. I, that gentleman in, the, in Amsterdam who was running these, 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 uh, these scam ads, he wasn't the one that was technically hacking the industry. He was, using, he was presenting it in a uh, dark web portal somewhere saying, hey, if you can get this ad in front of this type of people, I will pay you these types of fees. Sure. And so basically it's this other ad ecosystem uh, that's there to allow bad actors to advertise. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the magic thing of all this that everyone uses ads. Exactly, good people, bad people, 
everyone uses ads. And I looked up uh, some of these these names here. I'd not heard of, of Gert Wilders. Uh, That's the one that got me. But Ali B is my favorite. Uh, was one of the Dutch celebrities that they use. I'm like Ali G. You mean no Ali B? Ali B. He's a Dutch rapper. Um, And these are these are every country has their own type. That's true. Uh, Listen, all I know every country's got their own celebrity. I see an ad with Gertz in it. I'm clicking. That's that's what's up. All right. So who who would beat up Boris Becker? Right. I'm still I'm still wondering who what happened. (laughs) Yeah, I've got to dig into that after this too. Is there a GoFundMe? Uh, My afternoon is going to be pretty busy. (laughs) All right. So uh, before we let you go, I know you guys are uh, launching a new website soon. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So we've had a lot of fun with this. We've been rebranding it. And it's uh, a lot of this is also to represent the the uh, the growth of the business where we've been aiming to where we've really locked in and, and mastered malvertising inside of the ad industry, uh, and so we uh, we're now positioning ourselves to be able to bring the the information we generate the, the threat intelligence as it's called and and act on it outside the industry. And so it was a good time to look back at our our branding, look back at our positioning, and uh, and really up our game. And so we've had a lot of fun with it. There's, uh, there's, uh, we've made a little mal- malvertising monsters, and uh, there's some fun, there's some fun art and some fun style to it. Yes. Uh, but another piece, we actually launched the first piece of it just last week, which is a, a matrix uh, that specifically is there to map all of the bad actions and all the bad actors. So you can, if you take a matrix.confiant.com, you'll get a taste of what the new site is going to look like. Yeah, so the new site will be at confiant.com, and you mentioned the matrix. That's really cool. I checked that out. It's pretty interactive and and lets you see all the different attack vectors um, that you have to to worry about. So if you're if you're new to malvertising, want to learn more, that is a great place to start, and that's where uh, I learned quite a bit. So, uh, well, I want to thank you for taking the time, LD. I know, like we said, you're at a conference, uh, certainly busy, but uh, appreciate you uh, taking some time and, and joining us today. Absolutely, no. Thank you all, gentlemen, very much for having me on the show. Sounds good. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about a lot of that cybersecurity news that Don was alluding to. That's coming up right after this on TechNado with Don Pizzette. I've been in the career education business since 2000. I wanted to get into computers, and I'd kind of been doing it as a hobby for a few years at that point. But what we found when we were running the career school was about one out of every hundred people that we talked to might enroll. You had books and you had official courses, but if you had a question, you had nobody you could go to. Nobody. But what could we do for the other 99? There's 99 people out of 100 who can't afford it. Once I was A-plus certified, it was easy to find jobs. There were lots of jobs that had that as a requirement. One day I came to Don and I said, I've got an idea. What if we could remove the obstacles for people? We said, how do we create a product that is valuable to people? Reduce cost and make it fun. I want to make resources available to people that they can learn about IT. Having an option that you can attend anytime. Learn about certifications, get certified. On demand. And get into the job they want. Where every day there is new content being produced. When something new comes out, we record that content. It's the best of the classroom experience delivered conveniently online. A library of IT knowledge that's waiting for you. Hello, thank you for watching IT Pro TV, helping you learn everywhere you go. We started IT Pro TV to create the training that we wanted that we wish that we would have had. The style and approach that we felt would truly help people learn IT and succeed. That's what I want to do. I want to make life easier for people who want an IT career. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette. Thank you so much to LD from Confiant for joining us. I'd never really heard of, of malvertising. I, I'd seen a lot of those ads, I think, where you know that, well, that's clickbait, or but I didn't realize that, that they were scams too mm-hmm. and actually coming after my money they want it straight from google 
Straight from Google. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does Google count as a malvertiser? Well, I mean, you have that button. You have that button to report the ad. Yeah, and I think. Uh, yeah, we are doing that. Thank you for letting us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great ad. Yeah. I thought yeah. you'd like that. Yeah, it worked well. We'll make sure to only keep our profit on that and not pay the advertiser. There you yeah. go. Thanks for yeah, reporting. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Well, we have, as Don mentioned, I think every single article is cybersecurity uh, cyber related. So we're not even going to play. Um, who got pwned or anything because yeah. they're all Cause it's everybody all got, got pwned, pwned. Yeah. we all did this we week. all got pwned yeah. this week yeah and I got pwned too dang yeah I got pwned a few times <laughs> alright our first one comes to us from bitdefender.com digitally signed rootkits are back a look at five sys and companion so di- time. digitally signed rootkits these are the ones where it's kind of gone through a check and they said yeah, this yeah. one's good. <laughs> so, you know, rootkits in general are a type of virus that gets installed on your computer and finds a way to interact directly with your operating system's kernel. So it runs underneath all of the other software. Usually it's invisible to antivirus software and invisible to things like your task manager, your process list. It won't show up because it's telling the kernel to hide it. Uh, so this is bad stuff. Well, we've had a lot of really cool security features come out over the last 10 years, things like secure boot and secure memory and so on that stop rootkits from functioning. However, if you can somehow manage to get a rootkit digitally signed by Microsoft, for example, all of a sudden the operating system trusts it and it works again. And sadly, that's exactly what happened here. So they they found a rootkit in the wild that was digitally signed by Microsoft. Somehow, these malicious actors got it submitted through Microsoft's hardware checks and got it digitally signed as a driver of some sort. And then it was propagated throughout, mostly throughout China. This one actually targeted gamers. So it was looking to lift things like credentials and payment data and so on from people who are uh, participating in online gaming. Uh, but it does show that you know this this threat that we kind of thought was solved is right back again. Yeah, and this is not a, a news site, right? This is the, the, the blog of the people that, that found it, I believe, because yes. there's, there's a white paper uh, linked here, so we'll definitely put that link down in the YouTube description. Yeah, uh, and the, the white paper is really cool. If you ever wonder, like, because they, they list every IP address that it talks to, mm-hmm. they have hashes, the executable, nice. they talk about how it works. So if you want to learn more about how these rootkits function, it's a it's a really good white paper to read. Yeah, I've seen, definitely, because I'm, I'm always trying to create stuff for the show to show some sort of malware that's Mm -hmm. I can control and it's things like that. I can create a program and it'll go, Oh, that's not digitally signed by Microsoft. So this is not going to happen. And it's like, ah, but you can basically kind of set up a company says we're a development shop. We submit for, Hey, I I need to get a digital signature so I can sign my code so that it will be acceptable by your your operating system. And if you walk through that process, then you can use that. That's one way of getting it. Yeah, and they find ways to obfuscate the malicious side of it in the source code. And if they're good enough to be able to trick Microsoft's monitors, the the people that review this stuff, or really, it's mostly automated these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if they can trick it and get past that, bingo. I've seen people pull it out of like current DLLs, like where they're able to reverse engineer a DLL that's already been signed and get the digital signature out of it or reuse the oh, actual... kind of attach that then to right. there. So you, wow. you kind of inject it into something that's already been signed. That would, that would be tough. Like it, it would have to be a compromise. Apparently not for really smart people. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they basically have to do a collision attack, right? I, I, I don't know exactly how no? they do it, honestly. Hmm. Um, but it didn't seem too difficult, honestly. Yeah, because yeah. I thought you'd kind of submit something and then it's something legit and that gets approved and then you kind of slip the other code in but that you're saying one way you're saying it. you kind of hide the code in it Don it, so Microsoft gets all that they just don't see the obfuscated right. part, portion of it yeah there's a few ways to do it or uh, Ben Fink we did the webinar oh, with yeah, Ben yeah. a few weeks ago and he was showing how he could take a signed PowerShell script and have it 
reach out to the internet to grab the bad stuff. Yep. And so the script itself didn't do anything bad, but it would reach out to a site. And, and that stuff do all sorts of bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because it's coming from the internet, and that's yeah. bad. So, any any action items that we need to yeah, don't to trust do the internet at this point. I mean, well, so the neat thing here is that once this was detected, now keep in mind it, it had been out in the wild for about a year before it was detected. But once it was detected, Microsoft was able to revoke that certificate, and so now it does not work anymore. Uh, so this is really a Microsoft problem. They're working on it, but for everyone else, it's more of an awareness thing. Just be aware that. We put a lot of trust on our operating system, and this is why you'll hear me from time to time say, like, I don't like to run brand new Linux distros. I usually stick with Ubuntu or Red Hat, and it's because I know that they've done a lot of diligence for security and, and maintenance of their libraries and their their uh, package repos are, are fairly secure. But when you start looking at, you know, Bob's fancy Linux, yeah, it might have a great UI, but how much security effort are they putting in? It, uh, I, just because I haven't fiddled around with it in a while, but I think of things like virtual desktops. You know how you have like a almost like a thin client, mm-hmm. it boots up, you get almost uh, whatever like a remote desktop connection to your line of business apps and everything. It looks just like a Windows terminal. Yeah, you get infected or whatever, you just reboot. You get a brand new one, everything's blown away. Are we getting to where speeds on things like USB or internal storage? is fast enough for us to be able to work in some sort of virtual environment 24-7 to where I just reboot, and if I ever need to add something to image, I could modify it, add the line of business application, and then have yeah. some sort of persistence with that? I, I would say technically yes. Like, you know, if you, oh, my computer at home. So I'm, I'm running right. Windows 11, uh, and I have WSL2 installed, so the Windows right. subsystem for Linux 2, which requires Hyper-V. And the yeah. moment you install Hyper-V, you reboot, now your entire OS is running on top of the hypervisor. So technically, you are in a virtualized environment, even though you're on bare metal. So there you go. So, yeah, I I think, you know, we're we're, we're at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Could be one way to circumvent this problem. We'll see more technologies come out to help protect it. But I hope we are now. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) All right. Our next article. will be. (laughs) Our next article comes to us from therecord.media. And this is a day where I really wish uh, we still had our guest on from a few weeks ago, uh, Ramesh uh, Kessinapali from Digital Trust Networks, (laughs) because uh, this is kind of right up that alley. Uh, Hacker steals government ID database for Argentina's entire population. Again? (laughs) Oops, where did I put that database? Uh, So is this, when we say government ID, like basically kind of like the the driver's license or passport files that we would have here? Yeah, basically. uh, So this is a, a centralized database in Argentina that has all the information on a person. So it has things like their your your photo from your driver's license or passport, your date of birth, your address. Uh, they you know we have social security numbers in the U.S. They have a um, it's a termite numbers or something like that. Uh, terminat. I, I can't remember what they call theirs, but basically a social security number. Gotcha. Uh, and all of this stuff was in this database. Well. It turned out that there was a a hacker on the dark web alleging to sell service to look up the data on any Argentinian citizen. Said, hey, if you pay me X amount of dollars, I'll get you all the data and a photo of that citizen. Um, And people were buying it. Well, people started asking the Argentinian government, hey, have you had a breach? And they said no. Well, Hmm. so then the hacker posted, I think it was four or five people's information on Twitter. And so then people went back to the Argentinian government and said, well, if you haven't had a breach, how did he just do this? So they went and they said, oh, we actually see where uh, an employee's credentials were used to log into a VPN and access the system. And we see those lookups right at that same time. They just looked up that data. 
And then the hacker has come back and said, no, no, I got the whole database. <laughs> I got the whole thing, and uh, I got it on the dark web. You can show off the VPN now. It's fine. Yeah. But even if they uh, pick didn't. someone, pick someone. <laughs> even anyone. if they didn't, that tells you you've got an inside actor right. that, that has access that's doing things they shouldn't with it. So uh, one of the, I think it was actually the record that got in, t- in contact with the hacker. Uh, and he really? said that it was just lazy employees. that So you know, it compromised employee credentials that let him get into the system. They must not have been using multi-factor authentication, or he must have found a way to get around that to VPN in and just log right into the system, scrape the whole database, and now everyone who's an Argentinian citizen has had their identity stolen. So it's it's like the OPM hack, except for, I guess, everybody. Yeah, yeah, that, that's everybody, not just yeah. people who apply. Not just the uh, yeah, yeah. government, yeah. It's everybody. That's nice. Yeah. Feels good to be an Argentinian right now, I'm sure. And that's the risk of having a centralized identity database like that. Yeah, yeah and that's an interesting approach that the hacker took of not saying, <laughs> I'm going to go sell this database on the dark web, but no, I'm going to sell this service of... Yeah. Background yeah. checks, basically. I'm for whoever the, you need. Uh, the yellow pages for anybody you want. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Why well, sell it once when you yeah. can sell it over? Oh, he'll, he'll sell the whole database too. And you know, it's a digital asset. He'll sell it multiple times oh, and yeah, he'll, yeah. he'll make some money on it. Well, uh, I, I say he could be a woman. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It could be. Yeah. But yeah, well, uh, yeah, a population of 45 million at risk there. So, wow. Uh, not sure what the lesson is because you, you have to tell yeah. the government that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Government do better? Don't, yeah. Don't tell <laughs> the government your before. birthday. <laughs> That's what yeah, it is, because yeah. they'll put it out there. All right, our next one comes to us from Vice.com. This is one I've been seeing uh, a lot All of articles over. about. Yeah, Sinclair workers say TV channels are in pandemonium after a ransomware attack. And Sinclair is one of those companies that owns a multitude of, of local television stations, so mm-hmm. the news you get from your local NBC or CBS, those kind of places. And they were the, the TV stations were offline in terms of their news yeah. and stuff for, for a, while, a little while. I believe Sinclair is the largest owner so. of uh, network affiliates throughout the United wow. States. So they own a lot of television channels. Uh, when this first broke, so I, I followed it from the, the technology standpoint. It, it's a ransomware attack. We all know how those work. We hear about one every week, so that's not really special. Um, what I thought was special here, though, was many of the local locations. So they were all connected via a, a VPN or a secured network. But once you're in on one, you can cross that secured network yeah. to the other. So it highlighted a design flaw. So design flaw number one was that they didn't segment their network very well. So a TV station in Tampa, Florida, shouldn't be able to talk to his TV station in Los Angeles, California. But in the Sinclair, Net- Sinclair Network, you could. Even there, though, it didn't necessarily matter because the original compromise happened at Sinclair, like at the, the main location. So it just spread out. And for the local networks, they got shut down. Now, in Sinclair's defense, they actually had a neat backup system in place where they could flip to their national feed. Hmm. So their channels didn't go off the air, right? So the, the channel still had content. You could turn it on. You could still watch, I don't know, whatever lame sitcoms are on these days. <laughs> uh, and, and so that, that worked. But you wouldn't see local commercials. You wouldn't see local sporting events. And that's how the local channels make their money. That's how they stay in business. And for many of them, it took days. Even even some of them are still down today. Uh, that sounds a lot like I used to do um, free-to-air satellite dish television. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what would happen. You could be watching some local affiliate. And when it went to commercials, you would just see like 
the anchor shuffling their papers and wow. yeah. staring at other things because you weren't seeing the commercial part of it. Yep, and the, the locals, they, they would pick that up on satellite, right. right? And then they would just drop their commercials on top of it right. and air it. And, and that's how they make their money. And if the commercials don't air, they can't charge. You know, they have to do a credit so back. So people are loving their Sinclair service right now because they're not getting any advertisements. <laughs> I imagine they've just plugged in the national commercials. So it's Oh, it's, yeah, there you go. Well, I'm surprised the hackers haven't plugged in their commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they're devil Malvertisements right here. Invest in us yeah. with Ali B. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite comes Dutch Gertz. Moroccan <laughs> but this is another really high visibility ransomware attack. Yeah. And so it, it's just showing, I've made this comment on the podcast many times that this is rampant criminal activity online that's just not being stopped. And this was uh, tied back, according to a Bloomberg report, to uh, Evil Corp, which is someone we've, we've heard about before, uh, that yep. they believe based in Russia. So. so it's like Gotham. The internet is now Gotham, right? That's, That's right. It's just crime everywhere. Everyone's corrupt. Yeah, we need a like we a need a bat bat person yeah. to step in. Just waiting for some poor sap right. whose parents are dead to Jeez. get out there. And I think you need to usher this along. You need yeah. to find some kid yeah. walking in an alley with his parents. Oh, I thought you meant like do something to my the, parents. The betterment of the world, kid. I thought Don <laughs> was right. threatening my parents there for oh, yeah. a second. Yeah, no, I, I think you yeah. got to kill your parents yeah. if you're going to do this. Your, <laughs> your Wait, do I get to be a billionaire with a yeah. cave? Now, if he doesn't, yeah, absolutely. Could he blame you? Sorry, mom. <laughs> no one told me to kill him. Sorry, dad. The voices in my head. I Why did you use I a hammer, cool son? All right. Thank God they don't listen. That's a good turn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's head over now to our next one over at Reuters.com. Exclusive. Governments turn tables on ransomware gang Revil by pushing it offline. They they pushed it offline? This is a really interesting story. So um, th- there have been a few headlines centered around the Revil group this last, uh, uh, last week. One of them was the fact that the FBI had actually hacked into Revil servers and retrieved their private key, allowing them to be able to decrypt anything that was encrypted with that malware. However, they held it for 19 days. They held it for almost three weeks because they were trying to see how far in they could get into the, the enemy network. They were looking for that Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> That's what they're doing. A couple so, of agents that are into technology. Yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, though, if you were a company that had, had all your, your data, like you know, the, the pipeline, the colonial pipeline, yep. they, they paid the ransom. Right. Right. Uh, meanwhile, the FBI is sitting there with the key and just saying, well, we're trying to trying to really get in here. So that that was a bit of a, an embarrassing spot for the FBI. But now we start to get to see some of the fruits of labor from that. Revo went offline back in, I believe it was in July. Just all of their sites disappeared. Right. And you yeah. could tell it was the whoever was the main person was taking the money and running. They'd made enough money and they were gone. Well, their number two person stepped in and restored the servers from backup. So brought all new servers back up and Revil popped back up online in August. Well, unbeknownst to the attacker, when the FBI had gotten in before, they actually got access to the backups and they compromised the backups as well. So they were when, already in. So when they restored the backups, the FBI was back into uh, the servers that's again. That's a good trick right there. Yep. <laughs> so you know they harvested as much information as they could and then push the whole thing offline against Revil is offline once more. Uh, there's several governments that are all involved in this. And let me just tell you, it, it gets disheartening sometimes reporting on all the security news. It's really great to see some actual activity happening here. Yeah. I mean, uh, at what point do we start to recognize that cyber warfare is not just 
you know, nation state against nation state at this point. It's it's everybody, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. affected by this, even when it is targeted against nation states. We feel the brunt of that, like the colonial pipeline had. What happened? We started having gas shortages. People were unable to fill their tanks. Prices went up. The end person feels that. And what's interesting is when, you know, they they contact them and they say oh this kind of kind of got out of hand we didn't expect it to really do all that (laughs) it's worked really yeah but you did this and there's fallout beyond what your intention was and we get it you're a bad guy or whatever you don't really care because if you did you'd have been just backing that up immediately yeah but it has all these these consequences so everybody's involved in this we all have to take our part into doing what we can to try to stop these things and it's nice to see our government's finally doing something to make a play to, to Preach, say we're not yeah. we're not going to just be pushed around we're going to come after you and we're going to get you and i i have heard some people say like the, the real problem here is that if you're in russia the way their laws are written is that if they push out ransomware like this as long as it doesn't hit russian citizens you're not breaking the law yeah that's so crap. so it, it's okay and there's been pressure applied to the government over there, but the government has said, hey, no, this isn't our fault that you don't do your updates or you don't run any virus. Like, this isn't us. And yet. Um, <laughs> so there are people saying, well, hey, here in the U.S., maybe they should make a law saying that we're allowed to attack them. But the problem is all the innocents right. that get hit by this, right? And, and it becomes a feedback loop of it never de-escalates yeah. anything. Yeah. It only escalates. Yeah. So we we have to do... Like, on one hand, they have a point. If you're not doing your updates, you're not doing basic security practices, try to keep yourself safe, then you are inviting these things to happen. But that doesn't mean that they should just be allowed to go and do that either, right? And if that does happen, then sanctions should occur, and we should be, at least our government should be trying to defend us in a way. And if that means going, hacking back, because... Correct me if I'm wrong. Revil has no official ties to the government of Russia. Right. They're just a hacking group. So piss on them. We'll do what we want. And if you don't like it, make some laws to make it stop. I'm sure they're paying their taxes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> Absolutely. So does this lead them any closer, do you think, to identifying individuals? Or uh, It wouldn't matter. Uh, in the past, well, they have they have identified. Like, Remember there was the, there was like a, a captain in the Russian army they identified. Yeah, right, they had right. pictures and everything, but they couldn't do anything unless right. those people came to the U.S. Yeah, if, they, if they land in yeah. an extradition country, though, we could get them, right? Yeah. Like that. Like yeah, yeah, but not not in or Russia. Not in Russia, yeah. or within like 200 miles of one of those Reaper drones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, that yeah, that's nuts. All right, <laughs> our next article comes to us from CBSNews.com. Operation Dark Hunter, which is spelled T-O-R, like the Tor browser. Uh, worldwide sting of dark web nets 150 suspects. So this was a, hey. uh, you were talking about coordinated with a lot of uh, countries. This mm-hmm. is the same kind of thing here where a lot of countries got together and rounded up a lot of people More at the good very news. same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that's great. We, the first half of today we were talking about all the ways that, yeah. that we've been breached. Now we're talking about all the people getting caught, so that's nice. And a lot of this was, was in the U.S. So what were these people caught doing here, Don? Uh, so this is another example of kind of like the Silk Road. That once the Silk Road was shut down, any number of, of dark web markets launched. And so they have been running you know, for the last decade, selling drugs, uh, human trafficking, weapons, mm. you name it. Uh, well, you know, uh, Argentinian databases. Yeah, databases, yeah. yeah. Uh, all of that stuff. Um, ransomware as a service. Uh, so yep, Revil, they deal. offer their service up on the dark web. So these markets are basically just a, a whole area of criminal activity. So what will happen is these agencies will team together 
And they have to find ways to de-anonymize the people that are active on the dark web. So what they're hoping to do is to arrest somebody of another crime and then find their laptop, have a warrant to open and use their laptop, and then connect up to the dark web. Now they've identified one person, they have access to the site, and they can start to work on identifying other people. They've busted uh, child pornography rings this way. Awesome. In this case, uh, it was mostly guns and drugs uh, on this one. Uh, but it was largely instigated by the German government, hmm. but over half the people who were arrested were right here in the United States. So it's easy for us to point the finger at Russia and say, you guys have these criminal gangs over there, they're doing ransom everywhere. Yeah. But meanwhile, we've got a bunch got of people selling kid. drugs and child porn. So at least we're not saying, well, as long as you're doing child porn in, in Russia, exactly. it's okay. Yeah. Like we find out you're doing, see, you know, that stuff, we're going to get you. Yeah. And well, this we, this kind of goes back to on what you were saying of of maybe finding something and then being able to roll it up because it says German police in January closed down uh, something called Dark Market Online, mm-hmm. and and maybe then they they use that to. To kind of uh, yeah. go back and find all these people. But yeah, like you said, 65 uh, in the U.S., 47 in Germany, 24 in Britain, and four each in Italy and the Netherlands, among others. So, yeah, uh, there's a huge push right now for people to have end to end encryption and end to end encryption works. Like if I'm sending data to Daniel and we have end to end only Daniel and I can see it. But if Daniel gets arrested, and, which isn't likely right. to happen, and, uh, <laughs> and they get a warrant for his laptop and they access his laptop all of a sudden, end-to-end encryption doesn't mean anything. Right. They have access to We've got the yeah. end. Or yeah. you've got the keys to decrypt it because it's right there. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. so that's how these these operations work. Yeah, that, well, that's why things like um, Hoonix and Tails are very popular because there are these ephemeral devices and, and operating systems that, yeah, you can get everything you need, you get it off, and then you, you mm-hmm. turn it off, and it's gone. It's all yep. gone. Well... Glad that those ones are shut down because there's probably a lot more data and things too on on those computers that they haven't even gone through yet that yeah. uh, will either lead to more arrests or are other um, things that, that are we no can only hope out there. Yeah, yeah. amen yeah. to that. All right, I uh, want to let you know about a great webinar that's coming up actually a little bit later today. It is our Halloween-themed webinar, Cybersecurity Incident Response for Small to Mid-Sized Businesses, Avoiding the Nightmare on Main Street. We're going to have some spooky fun on that one with uh, with Daniel and Rob Carson uh, will be joining us uh, for that one as well. Then we've got a webinar next week uh, on a deep dive into Windows 365, Understanding Microsoft's Cloud PC. That's going to be with Mike Roderick, and uh, we also have Vadim Vladimirsky. I think, uh, from Nerdio, who will be joining us as well and kind of, uh, like we said, deep diving into Windows 365 and kind of seeing how that, that back end works and all that. So that'll be a fantastic one uh, to check out. Uh, also, go ahead and head over to technado.com where you can see all of our latest episodes. Uh, you can also click in the upper right-hand corner on the Sponsored by IT Pro TV button, and you can uh, get a coupon code for 30% off of the lifetime of your IT Pro TV personal membership. Uh, you can also request a team trial as a business and see all the great features available there uh, from IT Pro TV, so be sure to check that out. All right, I want to thank LD uh, from Confiant, and um, if you made it out of this week without being hacked... Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if Have I Been Pwned has been updated uh, yet for all this week's fun, but if you're in Argentina, you have. Yeah. yeah. You have been pwned. Yeah. All right, Expect well. it. <laughs> uh, Don, Daniel, thank you both very much. A pleasure as always, sir. And we will see you all next week right here on Tech Nato with Don Pizzette. 